Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. And I'm Chesney. And this is a show where we watch every episode of Revolutionary Girl Utena, a 1997 anime that is a true classic if you haven't seen it before. Um, if you haven't seen it, I genuinely don't know how you've discovered this podcast. Uh, <laughs> however, now is a great time. It is airing on Crunchyroll. You can also find it on YouTube. We link the YouTube video of the episode that we're watching in the description of every episode here. The trick here is that I am a decades-long super fan. This is Chesney's first time ever seeing the show. And this episode is episode 17, Thorns of Death. It is a Shiori episode, everybody. Our favorite <laughs> trash baby is finally getting an episode all to herself. The spotlight she so desperately wants. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, to catch folks up, this character goes back to season one. Jury, who is one of our student council members, has a locket in which she carries the picture of Shiori. Because this whole time... Juri has been in love with Shiori. This is an unrequited love. Uh, from Shiori's perspective, they were just friends. And we find out in the previous episode that Shiori stole a guy from Juri, but it turned out, like, the twist was that Juri was never actually interested in that guy. It was Shiori. But Shiori had done it to hurt Juri. And completely like missed the target and hit it anyway. <laughs> yeah. In that episode, the like the twist was finding out that Juri was in love with Shiori all along. But Shiori had left the school around the time that she started dating this guy. And I, I mentioned it in the previous episode. Uh, I gave away his name. This character's name is Ruka, but we won't find that out for another like 10 episodes or so. But um, it's just easier to talk about him as Ruka and not just the guy. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly enough, he gives me very like Todd energy, even though that's no way there's no way that would ever be his name. That's because he doesn't have his protagonist hair yet. OK, valid. That's I remember this now. Yes. OK. Yeah, no, he is definitely just like a Kyle or a Jason. Um, yes! <laughs> like, um, he's nobody until he comes back and he has taken a level in cool and is back um, and he gets his very own color assigned to him when he comes back. Uh, but he's okay. not there yet. He just kind of has like beige hair and he's just a, he's just a dude. Yeah, all <laughs> the, right. Like the only important character trait that he has is that Shiori liked him. Shiori thought Juri liked him, so Shiori went for him. Like, and they that's were all the kind of friends of before that. Yeah. And like that's the level of like toxic friendship that they that was between these two. Juri was in love with Shiori. Shiori actually hated Juri, which we find out in this episode. What a whiplash <laughs> moment, by the way. <laughs> like I I I just thought that it was to like get her attention and like a weird I'm a repressed like a baby lesbian type oh, of Oh, those way. are not mutually exclusive things. Like <laughs> her turning love into hate because she's so repressed is not 
unheard of. <laughs> All right. Yep. Fair. <laughs> I just. Wow. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that one, man. I don't. <laughs> yeah. So the episode starts with Shiori coming back to the school. I find this really interesting for a reason that won't really become clear until much later in the show. But I, I just want to say, like, put a pin in the fact that Shiori is a character who left Otori Academy and came back. Oh, shit. Is this like a, you're <laughs> once you're here, you're never allowed to leave? <laughs> oh, I my mean, God. I'm not going to say it, but like... <laughs> like some weird video game dungeon it's like oh you <laughs> passed the gate you can't leave now <laughs> yeah we got like some dang and rampa shit going on here um mm -hmm. akio pulls back the mask and it turns out this has all been like a murder game um <laughs> <laughs> you know i just like ikuhara's next like big joint is gonna be um more penguin drum and then after that it's gonna be yurikuma arashi and like now that i made the danganronpa joke i can't not see the crossover potential there <laughs> <laughs> in all of the series or just this one i don't know like the i'm, I'm seeing i'm envisioning this like big meta crossover thing that wraps all of them together into one big continuous universe um for anyone who's like actually finished this show and has seen the others or has played the game i i think you might be able to pick up on what i'm putting down but i really can't explain more without spoilers for this show <laughs> all right sick <laughs> i know that was like a totally random nonsense <laughs> tangent for me to go on um but yeah, no, so, like, put a pin in the fact that Shiori is a character who leaves the Academy and comes back. Um, okay. Like, fully leaves. Like, she is a attending school somewhere else for a couple years. Mm hmm So, um, she says in the episode that she went to middle school at Otori Academy and then left, and now she's back. So, Shiori is definitely, like the same age as jury she's in the high school um and it's noteworthy that like she's returning here from somewhere else and i think we'll be able to talk a little bit about this at the end of the black rose saga okay but like the big deal of it is probably going to have to wait until much further into the final arc um I, I think, like I said, like I think folks who've seen this show before know where I'm going with what I'm saying here, but I can't really say too much more. Like I can't like dig in and analyze this thought much further than this. Um, That's okay. It'll make it all the more like so much sweeter when we are able to analyze that yeah. part of the show together. <laughs> Man, like, when we get to the final episode, I feel like that's going to be, like, the six-hour, three-part podcast <laughs> of just, like, processing all of the shit that we couldn't talk about fully before. 
it'll be me pulling on the thread of all of my tinfoil hat conspiracy <laughs> theories. <laughs> kind of, yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> I can't say which ones, but you've gotten scarily accurate with at least a couple of them so far. <laughs> Sick. Love that for me. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, okay. So the episode opens and we it's kind of like a soft recap where we get like this opening shot of Jury looking at the locket and replaying the memory of Shiori saying, believe in miracles and, and they'll know your heart. Um, and then Jury responding out loud to herself that like, yeah, well, you know what? Your miracle never happened. You suck. Fuck you. I'm over you. <laughs> um, <laughs> direct quote, by the way. Like that was actually, it was in English in the episode. That is a direct quote from Jury. <laughs> She does come out and say, though, you know, even though she still like hangs on to the locket, she does come out and say, yes, I do hate you in response to her, like having the flashback about um, having the flashback with Shiori saying, you you must hate me for what I've done. She goes, yeah, I do hate you. And I'm like, damn. Yeah. But do you? Yeah. Like, that's a strong like that's a strong commitment. But I kind of understand that sentiment. Oh, Yeah. Um, the the bad blood between these two at this point is just so poisonous. Yeah. Um, and like, so this scene is taking place in the, the rose garden, in the mm-hmm. birdcage. And Jury is examining a rose that's her colors. So it's like an orangish rose. And the petals on this rose are falling off. And so, like, it's like this death of love scenario. Mm-hmm. Or death of, like, a self or version of self, since it's supposed to, like, be representative of her. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. Also, Anthe sees that whole thing. Oh, of course. From the door, which is, like, like of course she sees it, because, like, this is her domain. <laughs> you know, like, if, if something was going to happen in the... Um, little atrium thing she was gonna see it oh yeah like if, if you go into um the mikage seminar and you ride the elevator you're confess it you're like this elevator confessional mikage mm-hmm. knows everything that you've said if you step right. into the rose garden anthe knows everything you say <laughs> <laughs> she could be on the other side of campus in the damn equestrian fields and she will still know what you said I love how, like, in the podcast, we have, like, this whole separate canon of there being equestrian fields at a Tory <laughs> Academy. We never uh, see this on screen, by the way. Like, if, if you're listening and you t- and you think that, like, you just missed this, no, you never actually see this on camera. Like, this is just, like, a thing that we've invented to justify how often horses come up. <laughs> and riding crops. And and the, the student council, or uh, the... The counselor's riding crop. <laughs> yes. Did we, slight tangent, did we ever talk about which revolutionary girl Utana character would be a horse girl, by the way? Um, I don't think we did, but I'm going to go with Jury. I was going to say the same thing! <laughs> Jury gives me such strong horse girl vibes for no reason. <laughs> oh... Also, Anthe gives me 
horse girl vibes low key. Like she doesn't talk about it much, but you always see her in the stables type thing. You bring up horse girl in the context oh, no. of this. Uh-huh. And I have to bring up the show Strawberry Panic. Okay. I know um just because like this is where my brain is at. Like these dots connect with zero effort. Um <laughs> the horse girl of that show is Otori Amane. Like her okay. name is Otori. <laughs> <laughs> um and like she is she's known as the prince of Spica, which is one of like the three schools at this or like the three dorms at this school and like mm-hmm. there's a lot of similar stuff going on with like her being a little bit more masculine and being a horse girl and named Otori Amane <laughs> like, <laughs> like I it immediately just like connects to to that show for me I love that this like this is your tinfoil hat moment <laughs> <laughs> Well, the reason I bring it up is, like, she's very similar in some key ways to Jury. Mm -hmm. Like, a less toxic Jury is kind of how how it breaks down. Um, But that's a totally different show that we don't have to be talking about on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, our two horse girls have a moment in... (laughs) in the little garden and then the title card hits which is the thorns of death yeah and then we come back and mickey and jury are fencing and we have the entire audience watching uh the two of them fence what's really interesting about this shot to me is that when jury and mickey are fencing you have a whole audience Like, Mm -hmm. actual people in the audience are animated here. Compared to when Toga and Sionji are uh, kendo fencing, or sparring, or whatever it's called, the audience members, like, which we're led to believe are all girls, are abstracted, and you just see the kendo practice swords in the place of actual human bodies. But when we see these two dueling, it's much more of a real scenario. Like there isn't like that heightened reality or the abstracted layer of like the audience not really being a part of the scene. These two are being seen by real people in the shot. Yeah. And I noticed that it was a crowd of, I believe, all girls, if not mostly girls. Uh, But that didn't connect until you said that. Yeah. Like... I feel like there's this a bit of commentary there on how um, Jury and Mickey are both more connected to the other students than Toga and Sionji are. And maybe also something like a little bit there about seeing like girls and women as people as opposed to objects, maybe? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Sionji and Toga, they are being viewed by objects because that is how they view the people viewing them. Yeah. It makes sense in their world that they have objects viewing them and not people. <laughs> yeah. It's just interesting to have that that brief parallel, but have it be a little different. And so the big twist here in this scene 
is that Shiori is there watching also. She's one of the girls in the audience. It is ice cold. Jury notices her, is slightly surprised, but doesn't say anything, turns around and walks out. Yep. And by the way, she was going hard on Mickey. Like she was being so brutal with him that day. I guess because she was in a bad mood after thinking about Shiori earlier oh, yeah. in the day. <laughs> it's just, just like there are days where Jury has her Shiori days and she wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. <laughs> yeah, it's a bed without Shiori in it. That yeah. Is- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Every time she wakes up on the side of the bed that doesn't have Shiori in it, you know? (laughs) And is reminded of that, yeah. But, like, when this happens, Shiori's response is actually shock. Like, she looks a little bit hurt. Yeah. There's so many little parts of this episode where we get all these different sides of Shiori. And it's easy enough to say, like, bump my microphone. It's easy enough to like pick and choose which ones are genuine and which ones are an act. And like, I want to do something kind of radical here and say it's all genuine. Like, I think that Shiori is so like mixed up in her feelings that like every piece of this, that like this bizarre admixture of all of these different conflicting feelings i think they're all accurate and that she's just feeling them in different ways at different times and like part of how she pulls her whole chameleon act is like some of this is it's actually sincere she both loves and hates jury at the same time yeah and so like as much as she says that she hates jury it also hurts her when jury dismisses her like this. Mm-hmm. Like part of her hating jury is because she also loves jury and wants jury's attention. Yeah. Yep. And like her moment of shock there, like betrays that she's actually feeling hurt that jury didn't acknowledge her presence. Yeah. Which <sighs> go jury. <laughs> To be honest, because this is just a shit show, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) I know they both have, like, a weird, like, unrequited love for each other. But it's just, like, so twisted up at this point that I'm like, yeah, I think it's just better if y'all, like, move on. (laughs) 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 And have something healthy. Or just fuck, like... Yeah, one of the two. (laughs) You know, just like go up to the dueling arena and just get it all out. (laughs) Seriously. You can bring your swords if you want. Yeah, you can even start out fighting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, like there's nothing resolved between these two. It is these two exist in a kind of tension where they orbit one another like binary stars. They they can't ever touch or it would explode but they can't escape each other either mm-hmm. and you see that in like this one shot that we get in between scenes where shiori starts talking to utana and anthe and telling them her story 
but the shot that we see is just jury kind of staring off in a sad state in the locker room, even though she like won every single duel that she was just doing in the arena. Well, not the arena, but you know, out on the, the practice grounds, she's still in such a sad state because Shiori showed up. Oh yeah. No, like it's like right up there with getting a text message from your ex. (laughs) Yeah. It's like out of the blue. Yep. You're like, God, that just ruined my whole day. (laughs) (laughs) Which I actually got today. Like I had a text message from an ex-girlfriend today uh, from like 10 years ago. Um, oh, because shit. her Facebook because her Facebook account got hacked and oh. it was just like one of those hacker spam messages, but not a name that I expected to ever show up in my inbox again either. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's not like that. Like, it's not like a toxic <laughs> thing. Like, we didn't break up on bad terms. Like, she's great. I she's doing well. She's off and she went to college elsewhere and everything's fine. <laughs> But like, okay, not we're a, good. <laughs> yeah, no, like, just not a name I expected to show have show up on a Tuesday or Thursday, <laughs> rather. Yeah, uh, Shiori starts telling her story, a very particular talking. version of her story. At uh-huh. that, uh huh. But keep going, and starts telling uh, Utena and Anthe about how she's she transferred back. She went here in middle school, left, and then came back. And she says a line that is so interesting to me. Like, she says, I'm a sort of returning prodigal daughter. Who, what, like, high schooler refers to themselves like this? I'll answer that. No one. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely no one. So this is very intentional, not just on the, you know, the show's part, but also, in my opinion, on Shiori's uh I think she uses this language very intentionally for herself uh because she immediately follows it up with nice to meet you like she's just (laughs) (laughs) she's a whole different box of Cracker Jacks y'all um so but like when she's introducing herself she has a rose border that has mm -hmm. jury's colors Mm -hmm. now Shiori has her own color it's that like maroon kind of purplish color um and but instead of having her own color border the rose border is is juries which is clearly and unambiguously romantically linking her to jury Mm -hmm. and she starts talking about how they grew up together and she's like jury was always so wonderful so strong and imposing and utena's like yeah i can see that (laughs) (laughs) and uh she already's like she protected me and was my only friend i could depend on her with all my heart but i don't deserve that now and then she's like oh sorry i didn't mean to say all that i'm like yes you did she absolutely (laughs) absolutely meant to say all of that yeah Um, well actually i'm gonna go back to what i said earlier I want to take everything that Shiori says at face value for a second, just because I think there's some really interesting pieces of her that come to light if you do that. So like this moment of saying, I didn't mean to say all of that. I think she didn't mean to say all of it. <laughs> she, I think she wanted to. I she, she wants this known about herself. Yeah. But 
I feel like, again, she caught herself being honest in a way that, like, genuinely makes her uncomfortable. Okay, fair. I could also see the duality of it, of, like, having that adoration and also how like holding a grudge against somebody for that because like you want to be them or be better than them in that weird relationship that she has with her the feminine urge to be her or fuck her (laughs) oh my god truly (laughs) i mean like there is like this undercurrent of intense jealousy with shiori beneath even like the romantic stuff yeah like it's just all so mixed together it's just a matter of like which part of this bubbles up at one at the any given moment yeah utena and anthe leave and we go to what i am calling the black rose house because i can't remember what its actual name is (laughs) (laughs) that is uh namuro memorial hall thank you so we, we have uh, Mamiya and Mikage down in the basement. Okay, so Mikage is the one that he calls Soji? Yeah, Soji Mikage. Okay, thank you. Uh, Mikage is the one with the pink hair. Uh, Mamiya is the one with the purple hair. So like, okay. Mikage is anti-Utana and Mamiya is anti-Anthe. Okay, so they've got an orange rose down there this time, which is kind of surprising. And it cuts uh, Mamiya. And Soji, like, licks the blood off because, of course, you know, that's obligatory in an anime where there's a rose and there's thorns and it cuts one of them. The (laughs) the other one's always going to lick the blood off. Uh, And makes a comment about it saying we need this rose's thorns. So of course this one is representative again of jury and they're talking about, you know, how are we going to harvest the thorns? And then they talk about, Oh, well this rose or the rose has a natural parasitic poison, which we all know is Shiori. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have a really interesting, in my opinion, student council meeting where we see some of the repercussions of what happened in a previous episode with uh, Mickey and his twin sister, uh, where she goes away, right? Yes. Goes away. Yeah. Where, um, you know, she was the one that got transformed by the black rose and passed out. Didn't remember anything, blah, blah, blah. So Nanami is trying to get some answers and is interviewing Mickey about his encounter and he's pretty insistent about, like, not really knowing anything. Um, tells her all that he does know. Um, and also Which is interesting- the same as everybody oh, else. Like, it, his experience is no different than um, uh, Kanae's experience either. Where, like, they don't really remember much. It happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But Nanami has the stopwatch and actually uses it. And then she goes, what does this thing do anyway? (laughs) And he doesn't answer. His response is, am I done here? Am I dismissed? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, okay, 
slowly puts on the tinfoil hat. (laughs) (laughs) And Nanami has like one final question and she's like, it hurt, right? Like when that happened and his face goes like beet red. And this happened because why? So I think on this one, just because um, of the intimacy of like him and Kozue's encounter, him remembering that. A lot of this show is metaphor of, of various layers and levels. Um, I feel like her question and his response and the implied intimacy of it kind of puts this in the same realm as like asking about the first time having sex okay like but like don't read too deeply into that given that those two are siblings like i do not believe that drawing the sword from someone's chest is a literal one-to-one metaphor for sex just that like we have nanami a much younger character asking an older character about something intimate in their adolescence never mind that like sword fighting and drawing swords out of other people is not a normal part of adolescence (laughs) (laughs) right but but sex is um sex between siblings isn't but sex is and so like i i feel like we're kind of in that headspace a little bit with like how this question is framed and answered okay i could see that um at the same time, like, I am open to being vehemently d- disagreed with on that. Like, if someone has, like, another take on this, or if you do, I'm open to hearing it. Um, it's just, like, his level of embarrassment, to me, reads, like, somebody asking about your sex life. Yeah, because he's blushed before, but that was, like, full red. Like, you asked one of the most like personal or like private or invasive questions you could have asked. Right. So, okay. I could see that. I also don't have any other opinion because I was like, what even just happened? (laughs) (laughs) I I think I'm also reading a little bit into that given like Nanami's role in the story overall and Mm -hmm. like some stuff that comes up later around, especially like, around puberty for her um and like all of her questions and all of her statements take on like a different coloring in light of like what some of her other episodes are metaphors for okay um but like that that's me like 3d chess analyzing this like it's not (laughs) like it it could just be exactly as like on the face as it is is just like for whatever reason, he's embarrassed about this. Like, it could just be just that. I'm over here with my tinfoil hat conspiracies playing 3D chess. You're over there having years of knowledge about this show playing 5D chess. <laughs> <laughs> so, Vano from the uh, Empty Movement website uh, posted incredible analysis of nanami uh, just like this past week and so 
like at the time of recording, her essay has just gone up and I can't talk about any of it because it all hinges on like three episodes that you haven't seen yet. <laughs> and so I just have like all this Nanami shit rattling around in my brain right now. And it's like burning a hole in my skull because it's just galaxy brain shit um, <laughs> that I, I just want to talk about because like, like I've talked about her, Nanami being a second protagonist before, like a parallel protagonist on like a parallel course to Utena. Mm -hmm. uh, and like this essay like takes that and runs with it. Okay. And it's all stuff that like I can't talk about yet because we're just not there yet. <laughs> so bookmark it. And when we get through those episodes, send it to me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so at the end of the student council meeting, Jury kind of just like leaves early. She's like, I got something to do. And we get a rare shot of somebody like actually leaving, like descending in the elevator. First of all, leaving or like anything to do with the student council alone. <laughs> Normally you see them all together. They do the chant. They didn't do any of that this time. Yeah. Uh, no, they, like, but she they, like, usually fade out on the song playing in the background still. And like yeah. a, in a wide shot of the student council. We do not get that this time. She actually just leaves and we follow her in utter silence as she's descending the elevator all you can hear is the whooshing of the floors going by as she's descending. And she's just looking at her locket of Shiori. That's it. And I did not write what happens in between this, but I, they just run into each other, right? Yeah, she bumps into Shiori. And Shiori tries to get her attention. And at first, Juri tries to ignore her again. Um, but eventually, like she corners her and is like, hey we got to talk about this <laughs> <laughs> prior to this like shiori is talking to like a friend or something and she says i have no regrets taking him from you um and so like we get that private moment of shiori admitting this but not directly to jury but she's talking to jury finally and she's like yeah so we broke up but the fact remains, I did take him from you. So we have to talk about that. And she kind of goes into this like wistful remembering of the happy times at Otori where the three of them were friends. And again, taking everything that she's saying at face value, I think that she does actually believe that about that time together. But it is a very, like, selective remembering of that moment. Mm -hmm. Like, carefully filtering out the bad parts so that she can focus on the good and tell herself that this was a better time for the three of them together than it actually was. And so, like, as she's saying all of this, a bird crashes into the window as if to, like, as if, like, someone hit a buzzer and was like nope that was a lie <laughs> uh this has absolutely nothing to do <laughs> i mean it does it's their behavior here again because of who i am this is what i'm pulling on uh 
Shiori to me reads kind of like a Pisces in this way of like, (laughs) in this way of like living in their own world. And it is incredible. And like, listen, I have my sister is my best friend. I love her to pieces. She is a Pisces. Um, Shiori is an Aquarius. Oh, shit. Okay. But to me, she reads like what you're saying about to her, this is all very genuine. And some people have this thing where they um, live this filtered version of uh, their lives and um, their brain just kind of like magically forgets the bad times. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Or like, (laughs) or it's just like, they see it through, they just see it through a different lens of like, either it didn't happen or it happened differently or it's just their brain omits it completely. Oh yeah. That's like, what this reminds me of. So um, there's a series of novels. It's not important, but like there's a, in this series of novels, there's a character with like a set of different uh, of glasses with different colored lenses that they can pop in and out that mm-hmm. lets them see different things depending upon like which combination of colors are in the lenses at the time, which is actually a thing that like you can do with a camera as well. Um, It's part of how like filming and filters work, but like there's an element of Shiori that I think is just like that where she is speaking what she believes at that moment to be the truth at any given moment. But she has like these filters that slide in and out depending upon who she's talking to. So like, it's all true, but she can't see or think all of it simultaneously either. Like yeah. She can't see her own contradictions. Nope. Not at all. Also, I don't know the actual birthday, but my money would be on jury being a Capricorn. That's just me. Well, we know that Usan is a Capricorn. Isn't she a wait? Isn't she like a Leo or something? No, this is Cap- totally irrelevant. She's a, she, <laughs> no, uh, Usan is a Capricorn. Yes, that I remember. But we we went over this, but we'll look at it later. Jury is a Sag- <laughs> anyway. Jury is a Sagittarius Sun and a Capricorn Moon. Ah, there we go. And the moon is very apparent in this one. Because <laughs> it's her emotions coming out, you know? Oh, yeah. Anyway, back to the episode. Astrology tangent over. So, yeah. Um, Jury responds to this confession from Shiori. And, like, this almost apology. Or... <laughs> yeah. Actually, like, it's not an apology. She no. actually refuses to apologize for it. But she does, like, acknowledge that what she did hurt Jury. Correct. She asks for forgiveness. She does not apologize. Which, honestly, like... Bold. Well, (laughs) no, like, I'm actually going to say, like, I actually respect that. That, like, if she's not actually sorry for it, she has no business apologizing for it. Okay. But, like, to have the character to acknowledge that, like, yeah, I I stand by my my decision, but I do acknowledge that that decision hurt you. To be honest with someone and to say like, yeah, I did something that hurt you. 
I would do this again because I stand by the decision I made back then. But if we are going to move forward now that we're back in school together, I just have to ask for your forgiveness on this because neither of us can take back what happened. There is an honesty to that that I actually respect. I, yeah, I I just don't like what she did. Oh, like, I don't think you're supposed to like it. But it's one of those, <laughs> it's one of those moments where, like, the fact is, he's gone. But they yeah. now have to go to school together again. And, you know, like, it's unfair. And also the only way forward for the two of them would be forgiveness. And Jury doesn't have to forgive her. And she pretty much doesn't. No. Um, she just but goes, I don't, is that all you have I don't, to say to me? Like, I think it's, I think it's bold of Shiori to ask, but I don't think that it's, I, I don't think that Shiori is wrong to ask either. Like, I think that Shiori would have to be prepared for the answer to be no, get the fuck up away from me. Yeah. But where I'm at in my life as an adult now, I actually have more respect for people who, even when they do me wrong, who acknowledge it and don't apologize if they're actually not sorry. Like, I don't ever want to get an insincere apology from somebody. And I don't think that Shiori could give a sincere apology to Jury. Yeah. And so, like, for her to own up to that fact directly to Jury, I think actually shows a lot of strength. Yes, she hurt her. And, like, we find out later that, like, it was absurdly cruel of her to have done it in the first place because the motivation was pretty sketchy. Um, but, like, the actual interaction they have, I appreciate the fact that Shiori doesn't falsely apologize. And also, I appreciate that Jury doesn't forgive her either. Like, I, I think this plays out exactly the way that it ought to. <laughs> yeah um so but like to close it out what jury says to her is i'll just say i have no feelings for him and i never did i didn't have any feelings for him back then either so i have no hard feelings to you about it because like she didn't or she already didn't steal him from jury Jury never wanted that guy. And so this revelation blows Shiori's mind. This whole time, Shiori thought she was really sticking it to Jury by stealing Ruka away from her. And <laughs> for Jury to be like, yeah, no, I was never into him. I, you just kind of did this. I don't know what. I don't know what your deal is. <laughs> um, it, it blows her mind because now she doesn't know who's in the locket. Yeah. And that's what drives her nuts. There's like this beautiful moment of like this psychological stranglehold that for a brief moment, jury has over Shiori. Before that table gets turned, Right now, Jury has Shiori pinned psychologically. Yeah. 
And also the bird died. (laughs) Yeah, so Jerry goes down the stairs and Utena's there waiting for her. And Jerry's kind of surprised because, yeah, I wouldn't have expected that either. And Utena goes, were you just talking with Shiori? I don't know what the details are, but how about forgiving her? She's a nice girl. You used to be friends and she really seems to trust you. Now, this is the moment where if this was arc one, I'm like 90% sure Utena would have caught some hands. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it, it mm. <laughs> she said this and I was just waiting for Jury to swing right. because like, it's not your business at all and you full on butted in and i know why she did it because she's been talking to shiori but maybe approach this conversation with jury a little bit differently well she can't because she's a capricorn she's gonna be (laughs) she's she's gonna be uncompromisingly direct about whatever she says (laughs) yeah bless Um, so yeah like this moment where I, I think it highlights the way that like Shiori is so mercurial between mm-hmm. these two, where the filtered story that Utena got versus the equally filtered story that Jury got. Where like I, I think like because Shiori couldn't process the full emotion of what she was trying to say to Jury. That's why she lapsed into that description of her memories from Atori Academy as being so good. Because like I, I think that she's genuinely deflecting from what she actually wants to say to, sh- to Jury. Which yeah. is both, I love you and I hate you. And yeah. she can't bring herself to be honest about either one of those things in the moment. And so... She tells that filtered version that feels true enough to her at that moment to pass like the, yes, I'm being genuine check within her mind. But then we get this, uh, like the contradictions of Shiori's character come out through how she's talking to the other characters. So the fact that Utena is operating from a completely different set of facts in this scene is a reflection on Shiori, not Utena. Yeah. And that's probably why Jury doesn't swing on her. <laughs> that and she's just in a different mindset in this at this point in the episode. Yeah. Because she looks at her and she's like, You're this is so cruelly innocent. You're just like her. And it's none of your business. And walks off. <laughs> and so this is so interesting this shows like the growing relationship between Utena and Akio I was just thinking the same thing that like Utena doesn't go to Anthe about this problem Utena goes to Akio about it and like she's hurt by this conversation with Juri Like, on some level, despite everything that's happened, I think we're meant to infer 
some level of contact between like the episodes that we see them talking that mm-hmm. like jury and that, that Usa and the student council are at this point mostly on friendly terms yeah um and so like she expected to have a very different conversation with jury at least tone wise than what actually resulted and so like she's hurt by this and so it's interesting to me that she confides this in Akio, not Anthe. Yeah, and it raises a huge red flag for me. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, there should yeah. be, like, a, a red flag flying outside the window of the, uh, of, like, Akio's room up there at the top of the tower. <laughs> it's just his shirt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Akio is wearing red because he, he is a walking red flag. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, Uten is like, Jury's so narrow-minded, she didn't have to speak to me like that. And I'm like, once again, girl, in my mind, you got off a little easy. <laughs> and I hate that I agree with Akio in this moment, but he, like Akio has this bit where he basically tells her, yeah, no, girl, you had that one coming. <laughs> But he he references he references Ganymede, which, interestingly enough, is in the constellation Aquarius, mm-hmm. which is what Shiori is. She's an Aquarius. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, the thing about the myth of Ganymede, I kind of want to like reach through the screen and slap Akio and say, "Keep that reference out your mouth." Um, <laughs> Partly because, like, part of the myth of Ganymede is he is kidnapped by Zeus and brought to Mount Olympus to pour, um, to be his cupbearer. Mm-hmm. Which, which is why the constellation Aquarius, the cupbearer, the, the water pourer, um, or the, the wine pourer. And the thing about the myth is, like, Zeus takes him... Because he is an innocent and beautiful boy. Ah. And it is very key, or it gets very tied to um, the the practice of, like, pederasty in, in Greece, which is where, like, an older man and a younger boy are in a very close, often sexual relationship. Um, it's meant... Like, it's spoken of, it's meant to be, like, a mentorship. But, like, it's... I think it's totally fine to look at this from 2,000 years away and go, is that right? (laughs) It sounds like grooming. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like, I know it's culturally practiced. I think maybe your culture kind of (laughs) sucks. But, like, given what we know already about Akio and Anthe, it just hits different to be referencing that particular myth. Yep. And for him to be talking about the cruelty of innocence. Because, like, it feels a little bit more on the nose of him talking about himself. Like, it feels like he's telling on himself here. Yeah, oh, for sure. Especially when he goes, everyone has something they'd rather not have other people touch. 
Disgusting. Yeah, like, with, I mean, I think with that line, uh, I think with that line, what Akio is actually referring to there is his relationship to the prince. Ah, uh, okay. Like, but still. I, yeah, no, like, it, it's all just, like, different flavors of gross. Um, <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like, I think that particular line, my read of it is, like, for him, like, the embarrassment at the core of him is something to do with the prince. Like, that, that thing that he is too ashamed to let others see. Like, I don't think he's actually ashamed of his actions with Anthe. Not in the way that, like, he would keep it private, aside from, like, the consequences of it being public. Um, I think, like, the thing that he's actually private about, like, personally wounded by, is something to do with the prince, which is why he's so, why there's so much, like, animosity there lurking beneath what he says in that episode, in that clip show episode a few episodes back, where he's actually talking Mm -hmm. to the prince. Like, there's kind of a venom to that that I think speaks to the way that like, this is something that, like, he keeps hidden uh, because, like, I think he's ashamed of something to do with the prince. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. I took it as, like, um, being, like, possessively protective over or, like, I don't want to say secretly protective, but the dynamic that or even the relationship that jury has with Shiori of like, it's in the locket, it's secret. It's, I can see where you're coming from with being ashamed, but to me, it reads as like, this is my thing that I am going to deal with and nobody else is going to interfere. That's why I could see it for both uh, the Prince and for Anthe. Yeah. So like, I, I think like with the locket, and like I'm thinking with the prince and you're thinking with Anthe is like if someone knows this fact about me then they know the true me in a way that makes me exposed and vulnerable in a way that I'm not comfortable with okay Uh, like I think that if Utena knew Akio's relationship to the prince that would leave Akio exposed in a way that he's not comfortable with yeah Contra I don't think he would react that way to Utana finding out about him and Anthe <laughs> see and I have no clue So then we cut back to uh, the basement of Namuro Hall and the rose that is in the, the, the tank is darkening, which happens right before the eye catch. And so like in broadcast terms, there's several minutes between these two moments that is just elided over in... Uh, in watching it back now because we don't have an actual commercial break here but the very next shot is 
jury throwing the locket away into um into the fountain and at that very moment mamiya plucks the rose so like the we get the shot of it darkening there was going to be like a commercial break there and then we see the rose being plucked it's kind of odd the way it is like watching it continuously where like we see the foreshadowing and then it just immediately happens (laughs) (laughs) but there used to be like a a commercial break in that spot um which makes that make a little bit more sense between those two shots um so when jury throws the picture away into the fountain or lake or whatever body of water it was she says, not throwing it away sooner was my poison, but I don't believe in miracles. And this is a moment where I'm like, good for you, girl. <laughs> yeah, no, like, this is a moment where Jury is, like, actually at her peak. Like, she is okay. She's on the upswing. Our girl is going to get better. Yeah. And then some motherfucker (laughs) went in there got that locket out and put it in shiori's room it was the bird oh it was it was a bird um we see because i just saw oh i just saw the vase get knocked over and then there was the locket it's like heavily implied because like shiori walks into her room and the window is open there's a vase knocked over and she thinks that someone was in there, but there wasn't anyone. But we do have an insert shot here of the bird noticing the locket go into the water. Uh-huh. And so okay, like, okay. I think the implication there is that the bird retrieved the locket and dropped it in Shiori's room. Which again, damn you, nature. <laughs> which again, we have some like evil Disney princess shit going on here with animals doing things that are curiously on, like, curiously motivated. <laughs> yeah, like beyond instinct here. Yeah, this screams of Anthe's weird octopus weasel powers. <laughs> so, but at the same time. What we do know is that we have an anti-Anthe in the picture at the moment. That's true. Uh, which is Mamiya, who wants to see the this relationship sour, so that way um, they can get the the rose, or the black sword, out of jury. That's true. That's interesting. So I'm my take on this is that it is. Um, Mamiya doing like like I think he's the one who's doing this at that time fair and then she immediately goes to (laughs) what I again wrote down in my notes as the Black Rose House but is Memorial Hall (laughs) (laughs) yeah the Nemuro Hall yeah she rides the um, elevator confessional and goes into like great detail and it's totally in direct opposition to what she has been telling other people 
She's like, I've hated Drury since we were kids. I was jealous of her. I wanted to take something precious away from her. Drury was always so kind to me, but she was making a fool out of me. I thought she was being kind out of sympathy for not being as great as she was. And then talks about like how everything seems so pathetic. Um, and then how she wanted to change the relationship that they had, but what she did made her feel even more pathetic than before. And I then she like that line right there. That yeah. I, I think that is one of the like, like if there is an one line out of everything that Shiori has said this entire episode that encapsulates why I think all of it is true. It's that line. Like, I, I think that that line is the linchpin on everything about her. That, like, even doing this, even dating this guy, also made her feel pathetic. As much as she liked yeah. him, it still made her feel pathetic for, for hurting Jury this way. Even though she got off on hurting Jury this way. Like, there's a part of her that knows it's wrong and also likes it. Yeah. Like, this is why I feel like this is a hate turn to love or a love turn to hate scenario as opposed to just hating her. Yeah. Yeah. Because even after that, she's like, she's talking about, well, now we're equals. I'm the one that will always be in her heart. I've beaten her in the end. And then she goes back on it and then is like, it's she like has this freak out and the elevator gets even more like chaotic and she's like it's no use why do you look at me that way why does it have to be this way so i agree i think it is authentic oh yeah like this is some deep closet shit yeah where like she can't process that jury loves her because or at least like is infatuated with her because she is so so deep in denial about her own ability to feel that way about another girl. Mm-hmm. And that, like notably, her only, her only out, outlet for this is to hate her and, and destroy her instead of being vulnerable with her. Which as a <laughs> bi slash pan woman, I have also had this kind of, not to this extent, but I've had a friend do this to me that looking back on this now, like 10 some years later, I'm like, oh, she was in love with me and couldn't admit it to herself. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like most, most women or even just gay folks in general have this experience where they look back on somebody and go, oh, that's why that friendship soured. Oh, yeah. Like, I had one person who was, like, so super religious. She just Mm -hmm. could not, could not view things through that lens. Oh, yeah. Mine, too. And so it, it just soured the whole thing. Because, like, it was obvious and also admitting it would just, like, cause her entire world to crumble. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was toxic yep. as fuck. And yes, distance is the only way to cope with that. Um. Yep. <laughs> and notably, in the background, you know, we always see in the frame, you see the butterfly at the beginning. And so far, we've seen a caterpillar or a chrysalis at the end of their 
confessional, you know, whoever's in the booth, the elevator booth. Notably, for Shiori, you see a leaf with what I'm assuming are the tiny caterpillar eggs on it. Like, this shows how far, like, she's repressed this shit. (laughs) How closeted she is with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think we see the leaf. Like, it's a kind of a blink and you'll miss it thing in some of the other ones. But, like, Mm -hmm. they very prominently focus on the fact that we have gone all the way back to the very core for Shiori. Yeah. It's like she's not she's not in the beginning stage. She's not in the chrysalis, like transformative stage. No, she is all the way repressed in the egg. (laughs) Yep. But she also seems the most aware of where she is when she goes into the room with all the shoes in it. Yeah, that is kind of a chilling moment. Yeah. That like she already sees what's going on and just isn't phased by it. Nope. And. Oh my god. So she goes to jury, she tracks her down, and it's in this room with like these floor-to-ceiling windows. Like I, I think it's like the ballroom on campus, just like without all the rest of the decor. Um because like it's not like the open archways, like these are windows in this room. And just the the saltiest line ever if you'd (laughs) asked i'd have given you a nicer picture oh yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah oh and then follows it up with i loved the look in your eyes when i hurt you yeah again i will i want to i want to be real radical about this and take everything she already says at face value and just say, like, yeah, I think that there is some level of satisfaction there for her, like genuine satisfaction at having hurt jury because like mm-hmm. because she is so tortured by this what she believed was like this pathetic uh, relationship she had with jury as quote unquote friends. You know, the idea of having one up on her is, is huge. Oh, yeah. And so she she uses a jury's lingering affection for her to get physically close enough to jury to touch her and draw the sword. Yep. It is so smarmy and so uncomfortable to watch this because, like, we know at, at least in this moment, regardless of everything else, Jury is now trying to move on from this. Yeah. This is this is what Jury wanted at the beginning of the episode, but now no longer does. But it's being thrust upon her by someone who is manipulating uh, her emotions this way. Yeah. And it seems like <sighs> Mickey's seemed painful. This one seemed even more painful because of that. Oh, yeah. You're adding heartbreak onto whatever is going on physically. Mm-hmm. So after this, we get the infamous note in Utana's locker and the Shadow Girls. I love this <laughs> Shadow Girls one. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> um, so one of uh, the Shadow Girl 
I mean, in season two here, um, I call it season two. It's not technically a season, but like in the the second plot arc here, um, the shadow girl is um, she's saying that she's doomed now that her secret is known to the world. And it turns out the secret is that she wears wool underwear. And <laughs> um, as she's like bouncing back and forth between playing these two characters, the other characters, the other shadow girl says, uh, no one would actually call that embarrassing. You're making too big of a deal out of this. Um, but it is weird that you wear three pairs of underwear at once. <laughs> <laughs> and so the shadow girl is like, Oh, no one will marry me now. Um, and Utena responds, so take them off. Yeah. Once again, Utena delivering the straightforward Capricorn resolutions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gotta love it. There's a couple of layers to this, I think. Because, like, there's that piece of it where, uh, you know, Jury is ashamed of her secret. And here we have this shadow girl saying, like, I, I think as explicitly as this show will ever get, at least in terms of verbally saying it, um, loving another girl is not embarrassing. Like, that's not something to be ashamed yeah. of. Um, and I think the the so-called wearing three pairs of underwear in this scenario that maybe is a little weird is pining for someone for years who clearly does not want you like that's the part of this scenario that you should be embarrassed by not the fact that she's a girl also layers but <laughs> <laughs> i had to <laughs> but i would even argue that even that's not that embarrassing as long as you like eventually come to grips with it like jury is doing you know as long as you're not like oh well, the jury's about to yeah and then that gets sidetracked because like if this was allowed to take its natural course yeah she'd have thrown the locket away and it would have died there but yeah. instead we have what i believe to be mamiya manipulating this scenario with the bird and like the evil Disney princess powers um, <laughs> and, you know, like stirring the pot and making it mm -hmm. so that jury can't escape this scenario that she's created. Yeah. But still good on jury for starting to let go and not stay in this like self-flagellating delusional like state forever. Right. So then we get the duel. Uh-huh. And I love how Utena just shows up to these without any question and without telling anyone other than Anthe. Like, <laughs> you pointed out earlier something good, which is that she's on friendly terms with the student council. Why does she not call them in? Honestly, yeah. Like, at this point, it, it's kind of weird that, like, she doesn't rely on anyone else. And doesn't question it either. <laughs> It's like, oh, another weird note in my locker again. Better start up the, better start my good stretches to go up the stairs. 
Yeah, like she's not coordinating with the student council on the this mystery of where these black rose duelists are coming from at all. No, no. And she should be. <laughs> I hope they eventually do. Like there's part of this where you can say, oh, well, you know, the runtime of the show, there just isn't enough time to cut that or to cover that. But that is also a choice that like what we focus on is the psychology of the characters and what ends up as the text here. The text we have is Utena never really cross-checks her notes with the student council on what is going on. Nope. And it, like, has directly involved two of them so far. Yeah. So the opening of this duel, I wrote all of this down because this is, like, another bit of Shiori confessing something. Mm-hmm. And again, I believe she fully believes that what she is saying is true. But we all know that there is more to this than what she's admitting to here. Uh, she says, this is me, the real me, not the pathetic loser who cowered in the shadow of jury's brilliance. Uh, the real me lost in that brilliant glare. Yes, the one who controls jury is me. Mm-hmm. And the part of this that is like missing from Shiori's worldview as she's saying this is she's under the influence of the Black Rose. Like we know that, yes, so far every time that someone has encountered this, the Black Rose has made them say something that they wouldn't have ordinarily have said that is on some level genuine. Mm hmm. But also, their restraint in not saying these things is also part of who they are. Yeah. You know, like, um, I, I liken it to, um, to being drunk. Like, yeah. al- alcohol will never put a thought in your head that wasn't there to begin with. Mm-hmm. But it does take away your ability to not act on it, which is like, your ability to not act on every stupid thing that crosses your mind is part of what makes you who you are. We are not like just beholden to our instincts and our whims. And so the fact that like this aspect of Shiori, even this isn't all of her as much as she's saying it is. Yeah. Also because of what you just said, new tinfoil hat theory just dropped. That's definitely just a headcanon, totally false, not true whatsoever. All the Black Rose Saga is doing is getting these kids into a confessional booth elevator and getting them drunk on communion wine. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like, very obviously not true. (laughs) Now I'm thinking, like, the rose itself has, like, that tank that it's in it's just soaking in like tequila. <laughs> and so when they get stabbed with it, it just like all that alcohol hits their bloodstream simultaneously and and they just let it rip. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I need a uh I need a weird edit of either the black rose or like Shiori's head on a Beyblade. <laughs> <laughs> Let it rip. 
Oh my god. <laughs> All right. Ridiculous tinfoil hat theory time over. I just I had to. I had to. I do really love this one line that Shiori has in the duel where she says like jury isn't who everyone thinks she is and I'm stronger than I thought I was. Yeah, that was a kick-ass statement. The last part. (laughs) I think what's really interesting about that statement is something that we're not going to see for a few episodes yet, but it isn't true. Mm. Like, that is one of the few things that, like, I think that Shiori believes it, but her behavior does not bear that out the next time we see her. Okay. So put a pin in that one. Um, but at the end of the duel, uh, we see that that same bird, just a dozen of them or dozens of them on the desks, and they all fly away at the end of the duel. Yep. Then we get that body being dumped in the fire again, which, <laughs> who boy, that scene. It's kind of like, funny to me every time. <laughs> It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be, but just the way that it's like the duel uh, ends, Utena wins, and it's like hard smash cut to just dumping the body. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just want to like briefly touch on Shiori's duel song because um, this is the only time we're ever going to get her. So she only has the one duel song and this one is Earth as a Character Gallery. And this song is, I think it fits Shiori better than even some of the other dual songs fit their characters, because this one talks about the ever-reaching ambitions, cruel lies, and the way other people are nothing. <laughs> oh, okay. So um, I just wanted to like, briefly touch on the, on the dual song. Um, I don't want to get like too deep into it now, but like, because like, oh my god. This episode is already so long. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but yeah, um, just that, like, I want to say, like, that dual song really fits uh, Shiori to a T. Um, more than some of the other dual songs fit their respective characters. I think part of that is also just because, like, we get so much Shiori over the course of the series compared to a lot of the other side characters. Mm hmm. She's one of the side characters that we come back to more and more as the series goes on compared to, say, like Kozue. We don't really get a lot of Kozue after last episode or two episodes ago. Okay. It's also just interesting because one of the things that Mikage says is that the parasite's venom is effective and another opportunity to use it will come. And then the next thing that we see is jury waking up in the lockets next to her. So even if you hadn't said that, like it's very obvious that we're not done with Shiori and unfortunately (laughs) neither is jury poor thing. Right. Because like the closing shot of the episode is Shiori having moved on to other friendships, which is a a different place than she was in when she was talking to Utena about how Jury was her only friend. Yeah. Um, so now, like, Shiori has formed other friendships at Atori Academy. And I'm just going to say, put a pin in this. Shiori has moved on in, in a way. 
like she has grown enough to have other friendships and other relationships besides jury while still at Otori Academy. So there's something going on there with these two where the link is partially broken. Mm-hmm. But Shiori's still there, like in jury's orbit. Yeah. And so, like, these friends that, that Shiori has now are asking her, like, why she broke up with this guy. And we don't get, like, the full story. It's told off screen partially. We only get, like, one line of this story. And it doesn't make a lot of sense out of context. I, I mean, maybe the Japanese does. Like, maybe to a native speaker, the portion of that sentence that is spoken more clearly indicates what was actually happening in that relationship. Um, if if you're a listener and you know the answer to that one, please like write into us and let us know. Um, but like the way that she's telling the story, we just never quite get a clear explanation of what happened between these two. And we close on jury saying, uh, and once again, you come back to me after I let you go once. Why can't I be stronger? And so, like, we have reset the board to zero on on Jury. Where, like, Jury has yeah. tried to let go of Shiori. She took the huge step of throwing away the locket. And like a bad penny, it comes right back to her. And does not let yeah. her go the way that she let it go. Yeah. Which sucks. <laughs> I mean, not for the story, but it just sucks for her as a person. And also, Utena and Anthe, you know, are watching Shiori at one point. And uh, Utena's like, oh, she seems totally different. And Anthe's like, really? She hasn't changed at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, I love that's... that. I love that how... Utena sees what she wants to see and Anthe's like nah man she's always been like this (laughs) (laughs) and that's the end of the episode so what are your predictions for next time well once again we bring around the kid that got attached to Nanami at one point I believe his name is uh, Tsuabuki okay Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um I keep forgetting he exists, not gonna lie. So every like, (laughs) it's like he shows up every once in a while. And every time he does, I'm like, oh, you again. (laughs) Um, The preview talked about, you know, adult time, adult world, blah, blah, blah. You miss being a kid as an adult, but kids can't wait to be adults. And Anthony goes, but I'm already an adult. And Utena's like, uh what excuse me what do you mean <laughs> <laughs> and there's no answer um so yeah we'll just explore that dynamic more and i'm looking forward to it so what are what's your actual like prediction for that it's probably gonna be like he gets a little bit of a crush on somebody or something like that i mean i think we know who he gets a crush on he's always had a crush on her well but he hasn't really seen it that way he's seen it more as like a dedication type thing maybe okay i I guess that's fair 
Yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> so uh, once again, please uh, write in to us. We love hearing. Uh, we we love hearing from you. Um, and if you follow us on uh, like iTunes, like if you listen there, please comment. Uh, we read any comments that come in. And also you can find us on Twitter at Zetai Unme Pod. Or you can email us at absolutedestinyapodcast at gmail.com. We're also both individually on Twitter. I'm at Life in Neon. And I'm at Carcutie, K-A-R-Q-U-E-U-E-T-I-E. And yeah, we would just love to hear more from you all. Oh, I had to get a good stretch in. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha